I think it was about three years ago, or maybe a bit longer, I was here. And I've always regarded um, great parts, which I'd known for 56, 57 years. In the time of Moreland's Bible College, in the times of um, John Hutchison and his family, and in the times of Tony Bowden, who's living somewhere near, near, near Oxford, and still, uh, he's in his 80s, but he's still uh, giving lessons, piano lessons. I consider Great Parks, and uh, uh, the witness here, is absolutely remarkable. The outreach over the past few years, maybe longer, in, into the, the um, community, young people, children, and those who are coming in without any church background and serving the Lord. So tonight, what I intend to do is um, give you a, an insight on some of the surprises and secrets of church history, which is relevant today. Then um, I'll, I'll tell you about the one of the most fantastic conferences I've ever attended, actually participated in, I, because I, I spoke there about three times. It was in October. The Pan-African Brethren Conference. Because... The brethren, oh, 70 years ago, 80 years ago, sent out missionaries from Scotland and mainly from Northern Ireland. And there's still one of them who I met at this conference. He's called Robert Reevey. And he's, uh, he's been a veteran missionary in Ethiopia for over 40 years. And he can do something which I can't. He speaks the language fluently. <laughs> and he reads it. And that's even more difficult because the Ethiopian language is, has about 255 letters. <laughs> so it's um, quite a task. But this conference, uh, mainly brethren from North Africa, Middle Africa, Nigeria, Ghana, Chad, Kenya, Malawi, South Africa. About 25 delegates. And some people came from Northern Ireland, some from Scotland, some from um, uh, America. But there was a harmony. You, you remember the, the, the old saying, the family that prays together stayed, stays together. In Ethiopia, they really know how to pray. Um, so I'll just uh, uh, tell you a little bit about that in, uh, in the end. So Christmas is coming, and Christ is coming. And I think for the church today, especially here in Britain, it's a marvelous opportunity through Christmas carols, to, through uh, Christmas services to reach people 
who normally never go to a place of worship. Actually, especially the, 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 amongst the young people, church is alien. <laughs> why, why go there? But uh, I'm, I'm sure you'll um, uh, use these opportunities to reach the community here. Let's read from the Bible. Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 12. It's a short chapter. Isaiah was one of the famous prophets because he was a prophet sent from the Lord. He spoke the word of God. Also, he was a priest. You remember when in Isaiah chapter 6, he entered the temple and he saw the Lord. And only a priest would uh, could go that far, which, and then he said, "I'm unclean." But he was also a prince. He was related to the royal family of Judah. Isaiah uh, uh, chapter twelve. In that day, you will say, "O Lord, I will praise you." Though you were angry with me, your anger has turned away, and you comfort me. Whenever you read in the AV or New King James uh, Version, especially in the, in the Old Testament, the word comfort, it usually has a meaning of God, of course, comforting you, but speaking to your heart. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For Yah, the Lord, is my strength and my song. He also has become my salvation. Therefore, with joy, you will draw waters out of the wells of salvation. In that day, you will say, Praise the Lord, call upon his name, declare his deeds among the peoples, Make mention that his name is exalted. Sing to the Lord, for he has done excellent things. And this is known in all the earth, and especially today, through internet, tablets, mobile phones, uh, satellite television. There is a possibility that most of the planet the population on this planet can be reached with the good news. Cry out and shout, O inhabitant of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel in your midst. Most historians, most Christian scholars know about church history from Israel and in the West. But many of our Christian scholars today and historians are completely ignorant about the church in the East and the church in Egypt and Ethiopia. This year, on the 31st of um, October, was a great celebration, especially in Germany, especially in Europe. When Martin Luther, 500 years ago, through the study of the scriptures, he was a monk. He, 
he discovered it's all by grace alone. It's all by faith alone. It's all by Christ alone. And that, from that day, when he nailed his 95 theses, Martin Luther shook Europe, and actually, the influence of the Reformation has gone worldwide. Praise God. But a hundred years before Martin Luther, 600 years ago, there was a similar Reformation, smaller, in Ethiopia. Ethiopia has been traditionally orthodox, which is um, very biblical, but uh, uh, very uh, traditional. A hundred years ago, and I'm, I'm going to show this clip about two minutes long, a monk like Martin Luther called Abastifanus, her father Stephen, through a similar discovery, reading the scriptures in the monastery, he was enlightened by the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. It's not by works. It's not by prayers to Mary or, or the angels. It's not by what you can do for God, but what God has done for you in Christ Jesus. By Christ alone, by grace alone, and by faith alone. He spread his teaching all Ethiopia, but there was a violent persecution. Monks, priests, nuns, deacons, even bishops were reading their Bibles and knowing Jesus Christ as Lord and Saviour. But it was the threat to the emperor at that time. So he instigated a persecution where many of the followers, thousands, hundreds of thousands, were martyred for their faith. However, what he did then, 600 years ago, is continuing today. I'm very much in contact with the Orthodox Church because there has been an underground renewal movement within the Orthodox Church where monks and priests and deacons have secretly studied the teachings of Abbas Stephanus. And for them, the Word of God is priority. Jesus Christ is the only Saviour. And it's um, extending all over Ethiopia. Excuse me when I say this, but uh, um, uh, uh, eight weeks ago I was in Ethiopia and I met these, um, uh, these um, leaders of this renewal movement. One was a priest and one was an archbishop. I was very surprised, very surprised uh, that they came to... Uh, Normally I stay in a, a cheap hotel, about £35 or £30 a, a night. And they came to see me. This archbishop was the leader of the biggest monastery in Ethiopia, 
the biggest monastery in the world with a thousand monks. And he said, Gerald, we are spreading secretly in a clandestine way the word of God. And it's all due to what you're going to see now. This is a film which is... um, uh, this is a trailer, two minutes, and it's all uh, also about Abbasifanas and the persecution. And the complete film, hopefully, will be ready, if not before Christmas, after Christmas, with an English version. Okay? That's just the trailer. And, um, but what's so wonderful, the movement is expanding and extending all over Ethiopia. Now something about Great Britain. We've had a, a Christian heritage for hundreds of years. But God in his favor and his grace has given Britain something which the world or nations have never received, although they are benefiting by that today. Do you remember when you were in school? (laughs) One of our, our history lessons in school was the Magna Carta, the foundation of freedom. Only... Uh, in, in taking part in this film, did I really value the impact of the Magna Carta? I, I can remember some dates. <laughs> Twelve fifteen, um, June the 15th at Runnymede. The Norman barons and the Saxon barons had a confrontation with Count John. And they wanted more freedom, not only for themselves, but their servants and their serfs. So who wrote the Magna Carta? Well, he was an archbishop 
called Stephen Langton. And if you look at your Bibles, because the Bible has chapters, doesn't it? And verses. But the original manuscripts in Hebrew and Greek and Aramaic weren't written in chapters and verses. Stephen Langton, born uh, somewhere in Kent. And uh, I'm told there, there is a Stephen Langton pub. <laughs> Divided the Bible up into chapters. He was not archbishop, but he loved God's word. No other nation in the world has a document like the Magna Carta written about 800 years ago. But the influence of the Magna Carta is worldwide. When the British were fighting in America, and the Americans won, and the Americans in 1766 wrote a constitution, 90% of the constitution of the United States is based upon the Magna Carta. And most nations around the world, when they're coming to power or established, most nations prefer in their, in their documents the Magna Carta. Friends, such is our heritage. We're living in a time of prosperity, aren't we? But also we're living in a time of poverty. Not only in Africa and India. When you see the adverts in your television, Crisis at Christmas, the Salvation Army, there's a lot of poverty here, isn't there? We're living in a time of crisis and conflict. Whatever you, your views about Israel and Jerusalem, Israel is the center of God's political plan on this earth. Jerusalem, 3,000 years history. And now Donald Trump has um, passed the motion although it was passed over 20 years ago, but um, that uh, the, the embassy should be in Jerusalem. You see, this can cause conflict between Arabs and Jews. I don't know if you're a fan of Donald Trump, but he's very re re respected with the Arabs. Whereas Obama wasn't. The Arabs didn't trust uh, Obama. But Donald Trump, yes. He, they know he has Christian principles. They know he has a Jewish son-in-law. But what the Arabs like is power. Might. And Donald Trump, as a businessman... And the mentality, which you can find in America, high and fire, 
The Arabs respect that. When a barber visited Saudi Arabia, an unimportant official came to meet him at the airport. Two months ago, when Donald Trump visited Saudi Arabia, the king came. And then he went on to Jerusalem. Benjamin Netanyahu. And to complete it all, he met the Pope. When we see what is happening today, sooner or later, there's going to be a conflict in Israel. And it's all about Jerusalem. Because most of the Muslims believe in the Mahdi. The Mahdi is like, um, the Mahdi is called the guided one. And he will come from the east, maybe Afghanistan or something like that. And he will march on Jerusalem and destroy all the churches and all the people will be Muslims. So Islam has an agenda, especially on Jerusalem. Also, the Vatican has an agenda on Jerusalem because the Vatican uh, considers that Jerusalem is full of their holy sites and it wants international. Now, Putin, President Putin, he's very interested in Jerusalem. Do you know why? Because there are over one and a half million Russian Jews living in Jerusalem. Not all of them are Jewish, but most of them are. And many times Putin has said, they are my people. Also, President Erdogan from Turkey, with the largest navy, the largest air force, the largest army, in the Mediterranean. Many, many times he's publicly declared in the Turkish language and the English language, my agenda is to restore the Ottoman Empire, which lasted from 1517 to 1917. He has an interest. So, this is not to make you afraid, because God, this is the message of Isaiah. The, 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 the meaning of Isaiah's name is the Lord is salvation. And the Lord is in capital letters. Throughout Isaiah, you have got to get the name of God, which is maker, um, creator. Then you have Adonai, which is um, uh, also um, uh, uh, the, the Lord. But when you read Isaiah, many times in most of your Bibles, you have the Lord in capital letters. Because normally the Lord is one capital letter and the other letters are not. So what does that mean? It comes from the Hebrew. It comes from when Moses encountered God in the burning fish. And he said, who are you? And God said, I am that I am. You see, God has a name. 
And in Hebrew, it's called Yahweh. And it's a covenant name. Because God is a God of covenant with Israel, and especially with the church. We have the covenant of the blood of Jesus, mentioned in Hebrews, which is eternal. So what does his name Yahweh mean? Or I am that I am. It means God is personal to you. God is real to you. And God is eternal. It's wonderful. That's why the Pharisees and the scribes wanted to stone Jesus. And you, you read this very often in John's Gospel. Because many times Jesus said, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the good shepherd. You see, in English, the full impact we don't understand. But in the Greek and in the Aramaic, God, Jesus was saying, I am that I am. And that's why in John chapter 8, that the Pharisees wanted to stone him. Blasphemy! Jesus is special. Jesus is a manifestation of God. Jesus is, when we're, especially when we celebrate Christmas, Jesus is God in human form. And for the disciples in, in John chapter 1, when they saw Jesus, they, they said these extraordinary words. Now for a Jew, that would be blasphemy to say to a man. But they knew in their hearts by the Holy Spirit. And the words were, we beheld his glory. In the Jewish religion, you can only say that about God. That's unique. And that shows you the complete difference in the life of Jesus, son of man and son of God. Probably there will be a conflict between the Jews and, and the Palestinians regarding this move to Jerusalem. But worse than that, I won't go into this or explain it. As, uh, by and large, um, Christianity is divided between the Catholics and the Protestants, so is Islam. Also, many, many other sects as well. They're so called Shia and Sunni. Their hatred of each other has gone on for 1,300 years. They will kill each other. Men, women and children. This um, incident in northern Sinai, with 300 people killed, men, women, and children, it, it was a sect of Islam which actually is peaceful 
and tolerant and devout in their religion. But Sunni and Shia think they are not really Muslims. But between Sunni and Shia for 1,300 years, with a vengeance and a violence which you cannot imagine. <coughs> Excuse me. I know the Catholics and the Protestants, especially in the Middle Ages, <coughs> had their wars. But this battle between Sunni and Shia has gone on for three, uh, 1,300 years since the death of Muhammad. And it's escalating. Shia are mainly Iran and a few other countries. Sunni is Saudi Arabia. So, not to be afraid. This is what is happening in the world. But we know something which the politicians don't know. And it's this. God has the first word in history. And God has the last word in history. I'm surprised at our multiculturalism in England. I think it's made a mess. Just a few months ago, the Prime Minister of, um, of uh, Hungary said publicly, declared publicly, we are a Christian nation and we will obey God more than the European Union. <laughs> Do you think uh, Theresa May would say that or any other person, politician? No. Two years ago, there was an enormous march of freedom in, in Poland. Now, Poland is, is mainly Catholic. I, I worked a lot in Poland. But there, there are evangelicals, brethren, Baptists, and Pentecostals. But this march of freedom was because the Prime Minister and the President said, we declare Jesus Christ as King over Poland. I was a little bit surprised because many, especially in Poland, Mary is the queen. But now, Jesus Christ is the king. In Eastern Europe, in, in some of these countries, there is a rise of faith and belief. I find President Putin uh, very, very interesting. He, he goes to church when he can every Sunday. And it's not just political or propaganda. The BBC didn't really show this, but you can get it on the internet. Andrew Marr, Andrew Marr the uh, well-known um, correspondent, went over to Russia and interviewed... Putin. I know just a little bit, excuse me when I say this, because my grandfather, who influenced me to Christ and to read the Bible and accept the Lord Jesus Christ, was a soldier in the white Russian army. 
Uh, the same wife for 54 years. I mean, that, for me, that's the, the grace of God. Uh, and and uh, I consider my wife is, although uh, a bit older than I am, but she looks m- much more younger than I, I do, <laughs> much more. She's still very beautiful and, uh, and gracious. Unfortunately, because she had a broken ankle, she uh, isn't uh, um, allowed to travel with me as she should, but she, she loves Egypt. Ethiopia, the fastest growing economy in Africa. You remember Ethiopia in the time of famine? Bob Geldof, and he wrote this song in a taxi within 15 minutes, don't they know it's Christmas? <laughs> Ethiopia has the fastest growing economy in Africa. They are building the biggest dam in Africa. There's such a contrast when you visit Addis Ababa. It's like visiting Birmingham or Manchester. When the economy grows, there's hotels, there's banks, there's coffee houses, there's restaurants. Of course, just like London, there there is some degree of poverty as well. But not only that, Ethiopia has the fastest growing church in Africa, amongst the Orthodox and amongst the Evangelicals. The the Prime Minister, who is a born-again Christian, and he's... uh, not afraid to deny his faith, his loyalty to Christ. In about oh, two years ago, said the population of Ethiopia is about 100 million. 25% are evangelical Christians. That's enormous, isn't it? And that's why I like going to Ethiopia. Because being a bit older, I like being with young people. Iron sharpens iron. I get new ideas. And I, knew, I, knew, uh, I need new ideas. The churches are full, especially amongst evangelicals, of young people. And for... Let me just show you this. I've been in touch with brethren for many, many years. And the, the brethren in Ethiopia are uh, similar, maybe a bit more conservative than here in Britain. But the churches are increasing. The fellowships. They have evangelists. They have leaders. They have like a pastoral team. Not a, actually a, a pastor, but a, a team work. And when I went to this conference um, in uh, October, it was wonderful. You know how I felt? When I went to Morris Bible College 56 years ago, that atmosphere, mixing with the young people, and they led the worship with enthusiasm. And sometimes, not often, they clapped. (laughs) And they used musical instruments. You know, this conference was 
the theme was um, mission, uh, vision, mission, uh, action. So I must close now because I just see the clock and you've been very patient. Um, over many years we published Bibles. The Bibles, this is our New Testaments. It's from um, a ministry called uh, Media Serve. Does anybody know Littlehampton near Worthing? In Littlehampton, a guy called Frank Arthur grew up in the assembly and was baptized with his brothers and sisters. He worked with, with the OM. And then he started this worldwide international Bible ministry. I say this to the glory of God. Frank Arthur and his ministry has provided us in Ethiopia for distribution without any cost or any expense. I mean, somebody must pay for it. Nearly a million Bibles. Because Ethiopia is hungry for the Word of God. And now he's provided us um, 50,000 of these um, uh, te- uh, New Testaments in the Oromo, one of the languages in Ethiopia. And mainly, I distribute them to the brethren. Because they are of the tribe Oromo. And it's not a case having a Bible and, and putting it somewhere in your room or house or, or hut. They read it. The only time in my life, I, I seem to travel a lot. <laughs> and I, I, I like flying. I still like flying. That during the night, when I travel or fly with Ethiopian Airlines, I've noticed that some of the air stewardesses, when it's all quiet and people have switched off the, the video and had their, their, their dinner, I've noticed them reading their Bibles. Young stewardesses. You know, God can do it. Let me close with this. It, it, it's a, a saying which, uh, like a motto, in tune with the Lord, in touch with the people, and in time for the action. I just want to say in conclusion, thank you for your prayers over the many, many years. Although I was not brought up in the Brethren, but I went to a Morris Bible College, which was very brethren influence. I preached. Uh, even now, I have more invitations from brethren fellowships, especially in the southwest and even uh, further afield. Uh, I think I'm going to uh, what's the place called? Stoke so- Cannon? You know, Stoke Cannon? Because what I am amazed about the brethren. They, they have been a, a small de- denomination. We, 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 we can call it that. You understand what I mean. But in percentage of their size, the brethren have sent more missionaries out into the world 
than any, apart from the Catholics, than any other denomination because of their love for the Word of God and Jesus Christ. So, can we sing? Just, uh, not, not a long hymn, uh, I've changed